the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. This is the Bob France Authority. Pete Kersenow filling in for the best conservative radio talk show host or best radio talk show host, not named Rush Limbaugh. We had a great first hour, number of great callers, got to talk about Jim Brown, the president, the duplicity of the left, you name it. We hope we can even just fit in as much as we did in the first hour. In this hour, we have Representative Jim Jordan coming up, and we're going to talk about all things related to the bogus collusion investigation because it should go in the opposite direction. We have manifest evidence that it was the Democrats and the Obama administration that was colluding with Russia to affect the outcome of an election, but we're all going in the opposite direction. It's like we're looking at this match on the ground over here to the right and to the left, a nuclear weapon just went off, but we're focused on the match, or at least the media would have us focused on the match. Call in number 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. When we were last talking about um, the, uh, uh, the being in the White House, I mentioned that there was a whiteboard that I had the privilege of seeing. I don't think that it was I was meant to see it, but the whiteboard had a list of the things that the president wanted to check off during the first term in office, and my goodness, he's exceeded that. He is winning. And because of that, I have some doubt as to whether or not the vaunted blue wave is going to materialize, typically in an out election. That is, when the president of a particular party is in office, the opposite party 
gains an average of 23 to 24 seats minimum during the midterm election and is expected that the Democrats would get even more of that because of the tremendous amount of enthusiasm and the huge fundraising advantage that they have. But I really wonder whether or not it's going to uh, materialize for several reasons. The first, of course, the most principal reason is the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing and the deranged behavior of the progressives and the media. But again, I repeat myself during the course of that confirmation procedure, which frankly, when you know, I think Kurt Schlichter says calls them normal Americans, when most average Americans were watching the display from the progressives, they simply said, not me. I don't want to be affiliated with them. And it reminds me of, the 1991 Clarence Thomas hearings. In October of 1991, I remember watching the Clarence Thomas hearings, which were the epitome of dignity and decorum compared to the Kavanaugh hearings, but I was similarly appalled. I had been a registered Democrat, though a lifelong conservative all my life. I'd been a registered Democrat up until that time. I live in inner city Cleveland. My wife and I are the only we're the only Republicans in our ward. There'd be no way of actually affecting an outcome in primaries if I was a Republican. But after the Clarence Thomas hearings, I was so disgusted by what I saw, I could no longer abide having a D after my name. And I think something similar to that may be happening broadly with respect to the Kavanaugh hearings. It's already clear that at the Senate level, it's had a significant effect and probably has taken any hope of acquiring a majority in Congress by the Democrats just out of their their range. But with respect to the House, I still think there's a possibility the Democrats will get it. Historically, they should, even uh, independent of who's currently in the White House or the effect of Kavanaugh or any other things. But take a look for a moment. The media keeps telling us about this great big blue wave, but look at what the polls are doing Currently, in the Senate, Democrat Joe Donnelly of Indiana had had a significant lead over his challenger, Mike Braun. It's now only a two-point lead. In West Virginia, Joe Manchin, who actually voted for Kavanaugh at one time, had a double-digit lead. I think it was around 20 points over his challenger, Patrick Morsey. He now only has a one-point lead. Stunning. In Arizona, Kristen Sinema is in a dead heat with Martha McSally. There, she had a four-point lead just as uh, recently as last week. That's Sinema, that is. In Texas, it looks like game over. Cruz is crushing the left's darling, Beto O'Rourke, by nine points, where at one point it was tied, and one poll had O'Rourke with a four-point lead. In Montana, for reasons I can't understand, John Tester still has a three-point lead, over Matt Rosendale, but that has narrowed significantly. North Dakota, game over. Democrat incumbent Heidi Heitkamp is getting crushed in the polls by her challenger, Republican challenger Kramer, by 12. And in Missouri, Josh Hawley, one of the most talented up-and-coming politicians on the conservative spectrum, had clerked for John Roberts at the Supreme Court, former Attorney General, current Attorney General of Missouri, is now got a one-point lead within the margin of error over incumbent Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill, Tennessee. Remember what I said there at the top of last hour? Taylor Swift endorsing the Democrats actually gave a boost to Marshall Blackburn, who now has a commanding 14-point lead, whereas that was a dead heat before Taylor Swift lent her 
political brilliance to the campaign. Now, Marshall Blackburn went from dead heat to a 14-point lead in Florida. This is unusual. Challenger Rick Scott is in a dead heat with incumbent Democrat Senator Bill Nelson. Not too many people have been watching that, but that's another Republican pickup opportunity. And in the House, even though I still think that there's a fair probability Democrats will have an advantage at the end of the day, the enthusiasm gap has completely narrowed between Republicans and Democrats, and the generic ballot difference has only fallen has fallen to only a two-point advantage for Democrats. And historically, if Democrats don't have at least a 4.5% advantage in the generic ballot, they lose because Democrats don't come out to vote as reliably as Republicans do. So... When we come back in a couple of minutes, we've got calls holding, and I hope we can get to Pete from Chagrin Falls. He has something to say about Nikki Haley. There must be some kind of way out of here. You're listening to the Bob France Authority. Pete Kirst now filling in for Bob France. And we've been talking about Kanye West, the president winning, the midterm elections, Kavanaugh, you name it. We've had a number of great callers and figuring prominently throughout has been my hero, Jim Brown, who I grew up idolizing when I was a kid and hoped to emulate. But unfortunately, I didn't have the genes to do so. We were hoping to have Representative Jim Jordan join us right about now, but he has been uh, tied up and won't be able to join us. That's a disappointment, of course, but he's doing the great work of the American people, of course, holding the Democrats' feet to the fire over the Russia collusion investigation, getting to the bottom of it, and frankly, it is uh, it requires a lot of digging. But the good news is we've got... Callers on hold, and we're going to be able to talk to you. So far, we've had outstanding callers, and I'm sure Pete from Chagrin Falls is going to be one of them. Pete, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm doing great partially because I'm listening to you, and I can't believe how lucky we are to have you on this station. I always enjoy your commentary and your insight. I I Quickly, I just have a quick comment about, and maybe partially a prediction, and maybe I'm even fishing for your comment on it, with Nikki Haley. I don't think we're losing her at all. I think the strategy on this is that we're going to take somebody like Nikki Haley and see her maybe, you know, after she resigns officially and leaves the post as uh, our ambassador to the U.N., go to campaigning for Trump and eventually joining him on the ticket. I'm not taking anything away from Pence. I think he's fantastic and he's been great. But I think there's another role. And I think what happens is as Trump continues to win, the left is going I'm using your word, apoplectic. And they're going to go ahead and try to jump on Trump and the Me Too. And I think that Nikki Haley is a counterbalance with a lot of credentials. And I think she'll help the ticket. And Pence will have another role within the administration. And it'll be a free-for-all after the second term to see if Pence ascends. But that's what I see. I think that's you know Trump playing the chessboard. Uh, Pete, thanks very much for that comment. I think that's intriguing. I haven't given it um, that kind of, that degree of analysis or thought. It's a possibility. The left, again, I'll use that term also, would go apoplectic if she joined him on the ticket. You would have, as you indicated, a counterbalance to all this Me Too stuff. But just as important, she's bright. She's um, principled. She's somebody who I believe on most 
levels supports the Trump agenda. She's conservative. Uh, it helps that she's Indian American also because the media likes to check those boxes. We as conservatives don't care, but it frustrates the heck out of the left and the media when they don't oh, yeah. have convenient responses to somebody because they've got no ideas. It's all about identity. And when you can checkmate them on the identity card and they've got to argue only on the basis of policy, they're lost. They have absolutely no clue. But Pete, I'm not sure that uh, Donald Trump would replace Mike Pence on the ticket. I'm not saying that there's necessarily a downside by by having Nikki Haley. I just don't have any evidence that that's something in his consideration. I I have Happen to do, I have none. I, I have no evidence. Yeah, I happen to think that Donald Trump, and I know that a lot of people, um, uh, at least on the left in the media and many on the right, would uh, you know question whether or not Donald Trump plays three-dimensional chess. But if you look at what he's done thus far, I think the reason why people can't wrap their heads around it is because he, they can't place him into a, 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 a defined category Yet when you look at what he's accomplished, not just all the list of accomplishments, which I'll get to, I hope, at some point before uh, this hour's over, but as he said, this is a guy who's never even run for dog catcher, and his first time out, he's run for the most powerful office in the world, and he wins, and doesn't just win, but he beats the biggest Republican dynasty in America in the Bush family, in addition to all the other people who were running, which Charles Krauthammer said was the most powerful primary field in Republican history, then he defeats the Clinton dynasty. And we now know it wasn't just the Clintons he was fighting, but he was fighting the FBI, DOJ, the State Department, almost the entire Obama administration, including the media. This guy, better or worse, whether you agree with him or don't uh, agree with him, uh, this guy's going to go down in history as a unique political figure. Oh, unique and successful. Not only was he not supposed to win, he wasn't supposed to succeed. And he is, and it's driving them nuts. And if you think they're going nuts now, wait till we have some success in the midterms. They're, the left is going to get angrier. If we don't have success, they're going to be emboldened. Either way, it's a downstroke. It's not going to be good. And they're going to go after him like, like he caused cancer. Forget if he found a cure. And for cancer, and then they would turn around and say he hates people with AIDS or he hates people with some other affliction. If he cured cancer tomorrow, they would find a way to make it a failure. So what I see now, and this is kind of part two of what I was going to say, is that if he succeeds in, in, in stemming the traditional midterm election losses, that they're going to go from, um, from nuts to angrier and nuts. And the operative word is angrier. But if they win... They're going to be emboldened. Either way, it's bad. And we need to prepare for that. As, as, you know, as, as, as citizens, we need to prepare for it. As voters, we need to prepare for it. We need to stick by our guns. This guy did great when he had no resume in government whatsoever. Now that he has successes, I suspect that they're just going to pull all... They're going to Kavanaugh Trump on November 9th. Give him a couple days to recover, and they're going to Kavanaugh Trump because they don't want two terms of this. And Pete, I hope they do. Uh, one thing about Trump is he can take it. Many people he ask can. me, many people said, you know, because I've, I've at least had a little bit of time with the president, and they are concerned that he's getting all of this pressure and the media and everybody's attacking him. They wonder whether or not he can take it. And my response to them is, 
He loves this. He's having the time of his life. And the media and the left can't figure it out. Usually they've seen Republicans who cow, who apologize, who kind of hunker down like Nixon did. Um, This guy punches them in the nose twice as hard, and it's driving them crazy. But more than that, not only does he fight back, but he wins. The policy successes he's had for you, never Trumpers out there. And those of you who've heard me on the Bob France show know that during the primaries, I was not in favor of Trump. I had a lot of issues. I didn't necessarily believe he was conservative. Uh, but then, you know, when he won the primaries, of course, I supported him. But now I'm a full-throated supporter. I hold my breath every single day because I never know what he's going to do next. And I don't know whether or not he's going to disappoint me. But so far, two years into this administration, I'm here to say, I remember the Reagan administration. I'm a student of the Reagan administration. For you never-Trumpers who look at Ronald Reagan as the epitome of conservative presidential power, Donald Trump has trumped him. You have to be honest about that. You you may prefer that Reagan comports himself with the type of dignity uh, that you expect from a conservative, but in terms of raw accomplishments— Trump exceeds him. I'm sorry, Pete. I stepped on you there. What were you about to say? I didn't. I didn't mean. I didn't mean to butt in. I was afraid of losing time. The uh, our founders intended a Trump to be president. Back then, our founders they were not career politicians, and neither were their immediate successors. They came in, they served their country, they went back to the farms, and so it was always meant to be a citizen statesman. And Trump comes in and embodies that and succeeds at it. And he fought every. You mentioned it earlier. He fought every possible group from the media to the Republicans to the Democrats, to, every, to the socialists, you know, I say Democrat, I'm redundant, um, the, uh, and, and the, the, the people stood with him. And they stood with him without a resume. He had a, he had a business resume. He had a persona. And he spoke to them. And now he's got successes. So I think, I think it's going to dwarf the fantastic showing he had before. But this is what our founders intended. It's citizen stepping up, not a career politician, and succeeding at it. And this is what we need more of. And I hope we find on local levels, on county levels, on state levels, that we get more Trumps. And that's, that's, I think, the best thing in the world for this country. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. I do think that Donald Trump broke the paradigm for a number of us. We were used to politicians behaving a certain way, saying certain things. We could almost predict the programmatic response we would get to certain questions or events from whether it's Democrats or Republicans, it was always the same. And we also had this kind of calcified approach to policy issues that, well, if there's an attack on Americans in the Middle East, this is what we do. Or if the economy does X, we do Y. And no one, left or right, was thinking outside the box. They may have been uh, thinking in terms of traditional conservative channels, uh, traditional liberal channels. Trump comes in, breath of fresh air, does things no one even thought of doing, and he's winning. When we come back... you know, what's funny is we thought that. We thought that. The voters thought that. We sit around and have a beer or a cigar with our, our buddies. We say the same thing. All these years, we've said the same thing, and then Trump comes in and actually does it. Pete, and thanks very point, much for your comments. We, we've got to go going. We, we're at the bottom of the hour. We're up against it. But when we come back, we're going to revisit this issue. We've got a lot more to talk about. This is Pete Kersenow on The Bob France Show. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's 
the truth you are experiencing. The truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Chris now here, substituting for Bob France, the Bob France Authority. Bob France, the best radio talk show host not named Rush Limbaugh. We've had a great discussion so far this morning. It goes so fast, so much to talk about, so many great callers. And among the things that we've been talking about is the winning of Donald Trump and how the American people have been winning. By the way, the call in number 216-901-0945 or 888 888- Two eight one 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 zero. President Trump has been winning on a number of fronts. Now, you will hear the litany from the president from time to time or some of the people in the White House, but it doesn't even do justice to what's transpiring. I said at the bottom of the hour that Donald Trump has accomplished things that Reagan could never even hope to accomplish. Now, that rubs some people the wrong way, and I get it. We have this kind of wistful memory of Ronald Reagan. He was someone who uh, did accomplish a heck of a lot. I mean, the consequences to his presidency, among other things, was the fall of the evil empire of the Soviet Union. Uh, tremendous tax cuts, tremendous uh, economy, you name it. Um, but nonetheless, if we're going to be honest about what's transpiring, It's early in the presidency. Maybe he's going to disappoint us at some point. We don't know. But to this point, in his first two years, he's blown away what Reagan was able to accomplish even in his first term. I know to some extent it's comparing apples to oranges. But if you take a look at a number of indices, I mean, these are things that are measurable. What Donald Trump has done is truly extraordinary. And we hope that this continues with, let's face it, the midterm elections coming up. It may be that Donald Trump's agenda is frustrated if the Democrats take either the House or the Senate or both. I think the prospects of taking the Senate completely uh, remote at this point. The House, historically, they should still take the House by every measure. But because of the Kavanaugh effect and renewed Republican enthusiasm, who knows? Maybe we can keep it. If we don't, all we're going to be hearing about is impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. And think about this. The Democrats have not proposed any meaningful policy prescriptions whatsoever. And how could they? What are they going to say? Are they going to somehow improve upon the greatest economy in history? How are they going to do that? What about black unemployment? Are they going to be able to do something about the lowest black unemployment in history? The lowest Hispanic unemployment in history? The lowest Female unemployment in 60 years. We've got a number of states who have their lowest unemployment rates overall in history. We have, when you think about this economy, at 4.2% GDP growth, we have more than doubled what the Obama administration could do. In fact, the Obama administration, as you've heard a number of times, used to say that, well, we top out at 2%. The days of 3 or 4% growth are over, and Trump is going to need Obama's words. Trump will need a magic wand if he's going to get to 4% growth. Well, I'm, you know what? When I was in the Oval Office, I'm, I'm afraid I didn't see the magic wand. I was looking all over for it, but it must have been there under the desk because Trump has been able to achieve that. It's not just a number because when you get to 4.2% GDP, what that does is it brings tons of revenue into government coffers. The left should be pleased with that. That wasn't happening during the Obama administration. It also 
puts a damper on the national debt, which is still a major problem, and the Trump administration needs to do something about that. There's going to be a reckoning about that. But it also, what, what it does is it lifts all boats, as they say, the rising tide that lifts all boats. We look at not just what Trump's been able to accomplish with respect to the economy, which is significant, but increased military spending. Look at, have, have you heard much about ISIS lately? During the Obama administration, we were hearing about it on a daily basis. We were hearing about incursions by various terrorist groups in all areas of the globe. We were hearing about attacks from all over, and knock on wood, that's not going to go away. It hasn't completely gone away, but it's been tamped down remarkably during the Trump administration and all other kinds of foreign policy successes. North Korea should be kept an eye on. I don't trust them. I don't think any of us can trust them. And I don't think Donald Trump's trusting them. I think Donald Trump, when he says nice things about Korea, he has an end game in mind. And right now, he's correct. During the Obama administration, North Korea was testing nukes constantly. They were making all kinds of provocations toward its neighbors, Japan, South Korea, that entire uh, Korea Sea and South um, China Sea and, and Sea of Japan. They were the greatest threat, immediate threat to world security. And that's what Obama told Trump. But as Donald Trump says, you haven't heard anything about them testing nukes recently. They haven't been shooting missiles off across Japan. They haven't been engaged in these provocations. They've returned the remains of our soldiers, or many of them, from the Korean War. They, they are doing things that they were not doing before and that previous presidents were keeping on hold over the last 60 years. That's both Republican and Democrat presidents. But... I'm bloviating here. We've got callers on hold. You've got things and things to say and probably far more intelligent than what I have to say. Let's, for example, talk to Bill in Wellington. Bill, you there? Yes, I am. Bill, how you doing? You, you wanted, I think, to talk something about civil rights, which is something I know a little yeah. bit about. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm glad I got a hold of you. Uh, I, I was basically opposed to the civil rights bill because I felt like uh, you know, the Constitution basically talks about uh, the right to do with, uh, with property it, when you have your own property. And I felt that that was a very important thing. And I don't remember exactly how that involved with the Civil Rights Bill at that point, but we can see what has happened with it over a period of time where I can remember when you went into a store when I was that age and younger, uh, you went into a store and a uh, guy could look at you and say, hey, I don't want you, you know, I don't want to wait on, I don't want to serve this guy. And you could tell him to leave. And that didn't have anything to do with necessary skin color. It may have been the guy was softly dressed or something. If it was a restaurant, for example. And I remember a restaurant up on St. Clair Avenue where the guy didn't, at that time, didn't like smoking in his restaurant, which was very unusual at that time. And I saw them leading people out sometimes because they lit up a cigarette. So I, you know, I feel like you have your right to your own property. So I'm kind of looking at, okay, what was the civil rights bill originally? And then how did we get into a point now where you can't, you can't serve somebody if, you know, they can sue you and, and you were ending up with all of this, these big problems uh, I'll let you go from there. I think you sure. got my point. Yeah, I, I get the point, and it's a discussion that we infrequently have, or not sufficiently frequently, because I think it's important. The 1964 Civil Rights Act, which, by the way, 
was passed only because a higher percentage of Republicans supported it than Democrats. You don't hear that because of the historical jujitsu, the historical jujitsu that Democrats and the left and the media, but again, I repeat myself, have played with respect to matters of civil rights. The Republican Party has throughout history been the party of civil rights. The Democrats are the party of Jim Crow, segregation, opposition to civil rights. The Ku Klux Klan was the military wing of the Democratic Party. We can talk about the historical perspective ad infinitum. But with respect to the 1964 Civil Rights Act bill, a couple things. First, from an intellectual standpoint, it is true whenever the government compels people to do something arguably that recognizes certain, quote-unquote, rights of others, that is a matter of government coercion, and it restricts or limits the freedom of the person who, who has to respect the, the rights of others. That is true. And Barry Goldwater had uh, an opposition to the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which was unfor- uh, un- uh, unfortunately painted and unfairly painted as racially discriminatory when he really was concerned about the impingement on freedoms and the potential metastasizing effect of recognizing that the government had the the power, the coercive power of the government to tell shop owners or uh, other businesses that they couldn't operate the way they wanted to do, better or worse. The countervailing argument was that this is the United States of America, and whereas a shop owner or a business owner or others had the right and the freedom under our governance to do whatever they wished to do within the law, provided it wasn't criminal, and obviously there are certain restraints on it, that we had to recognize the fact that no one in America, based on immutable characteristics, should have their freedoms circumscribed. Now, different type of freedom. And we could talk about this forever, and, and, and Bill, this is a, a great call. If we had three or four hours, we'd only skim the surface of this because this is a philosophical issue that I wish a lot of people would understand. To what extent do we allow the government to circumscribe the rights of one group of people in order to protect or advance the rights of others? This is a tension that we have to mediate over and over again. In 1964, that tension was mediated in favor of not discriminating on the, piece, on the basis of someone's immutable characteristic, in that case, color. Although the 1964 Civil Rights Act talks about race, sex, age, national origin, etc. Not age, but national origin. We had to pass the Age Discrimination and Employment Act later. But I remember, and I think many of us remember, during the early 60s, if I was traveling with my family in certain areas... We couldn't stop at certain places. We couldn't get rooms at certain places. And that may sound like a small thing, but when significant portions of the country had the ability to exclude you on the basis of skin color, you might have to drive for hours and hours and hours and maybe never get to stay someplace, maybe never get to eat someplace. Maybe if you were applying for a job, you could be the most talented person and wouldn't get that job. And so the government decided at that particular point, um, kind of an offshoot of the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause, or, or at least the themes undergirding that, and said that we as Americans are better than that. And we understand that this may limit the freedoms of certain people, but we think that limiting freedom to discriminate on the basis of race is something that needs to be subjugated to the freedom to enjoy the 
fruits of everything America provides to its citizens. The problem, Bill, is that the left has taken that very laudable objective of requiring equal treatment under the law and has run with it to the point where now they view you only by your identity and we are discriminating all over the place, but discriminating in favor of the left's favored groups. The United States of America is better than that. The United States of America has shown it's better than that. The United States of America is the only country that fought a civil war in which hundreds of thousands died to make sure that everyone enjoyed the freedoms, the fruits of the founding in an equal way with their fellow citizens. So that was a long-winded response, but doesn't even begin to touch the surface. Bill, thanks very much for your call. We've got other people holding and um, want to get to, whoop, we, we had somebody drop there. But, Bill, um, while we have time, did you have a response? Yes. Uh, even uh, when you talk about the Civil War, I had the same feeling when I was studying that because uh, I, was, I was glad that the slaves were freed, but I was very angry about the fact that they infringe now on states' rights. And some of these laws, that, and I feel the same way about the, uh, about the civil rights law. I wouldn't be voting against the color kind of thing. And, and to be honest with you, the Democrats made it out of color. To me, it was never really color that was a part of the problem. It was just culture. And, you know, all the, the Irish had the same problem when they came to this country. In fact, they, they even had a kind of a worse problem. But uh, this has always happened to everyone, and when you start fooling around with a law like that and then trying to change it, uh, you really have a problem. But I, I won't hold you up any longer, uh, but I do really uh, thank you for your, uh, for your comments. Bill, thanks very much for your call, and we're going to go to Todd in Cleveland, I believe it is. Todd, you there? Yeah, I'm here, Peter. You hear me all right? I can. Go ahead. I've got questions for you relating affirmative action and this new issue one that's being proposed. Issue one is more is in the forefront of my mind. Have you read it through? No, I've not. I admit I have not. And I I really don't have a comment about it, but if you want to give me a capsulized summary, I'm willing to pontificate. Nope, not willing to do that because I have heard you speak about affirmative action before, but I've never caught the details where you take issue with it. Is there two Uh, Several reasons. And, you know, Bill kind of talked about it just a moment ago. Uh, I believe in equal treatment under the law, not preferential treatment. And unfortunately, while affirmative action, as originally understood, may have been something that was a lauded objective, that is, to bring, take people who, because of certain disadvantages related to race or maybe some uh, ethnicity, don't have the full participation in the American mainstream that others do, at least in and the past. Included. Right. So, you know, you, you would expand the net to get as many people as possible. You wouldn't exclude anybody. But affirmative action is metastasized to what is now no more than uh, preferences, quotas, and set-asides. It's really awful. And frankly, if we were being honest about it, and there's currently some litigation with respect to Harvard University about this, we would recognize that it is truly overt discrimination. But there's another reason, Todd, that I, I don't like uh, affirmative action, not only because it's unlawful, not only because it's now metastasized into something that's unfair, but because the original purpose was to bring blacks into the mainstream of society. Right now, it is hurting blacks more than helping and it is quantifiable i'm so, we're going into a break here when we come back if we have time todd i'll i'll um 
resume the discussion with respect to this, but understand there are a number of studies that we've conducted, we've seen at the Civil Rights Commission, that affirmative action has had a negative and decided deleterious effect on black wage, employment levels, and educational levels. I'll hang around. Let's see if we can talk about this a little bit more. Person out here sitting in for Bob France on the Bob France Authority. I want to thank Bob again for this opportunity to speak to his audience, this great audience. We've had a number of phenomenal calls. We've talked about everything ranging from religion to Jim Brown to Kanye West or affirmative action to Donald Trump. It's been an eclectic hour to say the least, and we only have a few minutes left. I wanted to kind of close out with respect to what's happening in society today and uh indicate to you that I think we are seeing that we're at one of those inflection points in society that we only recognize, I believe, usually 20, 30, sometimes 100 years down the road. You may recall, if you've listened to the Bob France Authority, um, on a number of occasions I've said, and this was back in the lead up to the 2016 election, that we were at an inflection point, that we're at, at or near a tipping point, and depending upon which way the election went, we may not be able to get America back. We were losing America. And I was not trying to be histrionic about it. I just saw so many of our values and principles being trashed and ignored. We heard some of that in the first two hours, a number of callers expressing their concern about the manner in which, frankly, um, you look at what schools have done, the fact that Kanye West was not acting with the appropriate decorum, despite the fact that we like the the, the fact that he actually was supporting Donald Trump, but in the Oval Office he was not acting with the appropriate decorum, the kind of degradation of our society. Had Hillary Clinton been elected, I think it would have been game over. I, I really do. I don't know how we can unwind that or would have been able to unwind that, but now we've got two new Supreme Court justices to make sure that the Supreme Court acts as a bulwark to protect the Constitution, which I was fearful, was being eroded over time. And for now, we have a president in office who defends American values, defends the original principles of the American founding. We currently have the Senate. I hope we continue to have the House. But it's an uphill battle because all of the institutions, the cultural institutions, the media, academia, you name it, is in the hands of the left. And we see this consistently, and it was in stark display during the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing. We are fighting against this huge wave, not necessarily a blue wave, but a huge wave of forces that threatens to drown all that we have worked for to preserve the freedoms enshrined in the Declaration and in the Constitution. This election coming up, is going to be extremely important. I know it gets trite to say that over and over again. Everyone says that. That doesn't mean it isn't true. But if you have any question as to the importance of this election, take a look again at the video related to the Kavanaugh confirmation. 
of all of the protests and, most importantly, the way Senate Judiciary Democrats behaved, completely discarding, with the willing assistance of the media, any notions of due process. What we saw there was a minimalist, frankly, replication of the principles undergirding the French Revolution, not the American Revolution. We never want to revisit that. And you saw Democrats acting not just despicably, but underhandedly and in a fashion that was in complete derogation of the founding principles of the United States of America. The United States is a flawed country. The United States is not a perfect country, but the United States of America is the greatest country in the history of the world. It's not even close. And unfortunately, many in academia, many in the media, many on the left somehow confuse greatness and perfection. There will never be a perfect country. There was only one perfect man in history. But we have a great country, one whose principles are worth defending. It became great because of those founding principles. However flawed the men who may have made them may have been. They were not perfect men, but they were great men. Don't ever let anyone tell you any different you are right when you say this is the greatest nation in the history of the world we will fight back against the forces of the left we don't want to make america venezuela we want to make america great again and we are getting a long way down that path so friends thanks very much for calling in by the way there are two books which are some of the greatest Books ever written in terms of nonfiction, Target Omega and Second Strike, written by Pete Kersenow. Go out and get them. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.